Peter's confession of Christ. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, The Christ of God. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Thank you, Rachel. As we sit, shall we pray? Lord, we thank you for the gift of your holy word. We pray that through it you may speak your living word to us now. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, this is a day of great celebration. We've watched baptisms. We've watched confirmations. We've uh, seen people commit themselves to this path of following Jesus Christ. And that we're about to celebrate in Holy Communion in a few moments' time. But of course, at the same time, we come to church today, I guess with heavy hearts, as many people around Europe do, remembering uh, what we saw unfolding on our TVs on Friday in Paris and all through the last 24 hours or so. And it's reminded us that we live in a deeply troubled and hurting world. It's a world where evil is rampant. It's a world where the forces of death and destruction are there lurking in the shadows. And I guess our question today is, how do we live in such a world? How do we live in a world where that kind of thing happens? It happened in Paris, it could have been in London. How do we live in that kind of world? Well, I can think of no better way to say that we want to live in that world, but by being precisely at this service, watching people recommit themselves to the way of Jesus Christ. Because you may have heard in those questions a few moments ago, they were asked the question, do you renounce evil? And they say, yes, I do renounce evil. And that is something that every single one of us who has been baptized, every single one of us who is walking the path of Jesus Christ, have set our faces against all that is evil. And so today, those who are here, those who are being confirmed, those who have been baptized, and in a sense all of us too, are, if you like, recommitting ourselves to that path of Jesus Christ, that 
absolute implacable opposition to all that is evil in his world. So as we do this, it's not a bad thing, I think, to remind ourselves, and particularly to remind those of you who have just been uh, baptized um, and confirmed, or about to be confirmed, what it is you're committing yourself to. What it is that those of us who are Christians have committed ourselves to. Because in a way, the Christian life is nothing other than dying and being reborn. That's what baptism is about. And it was very visible, wasn't it? You saw it in that moment when the candidates were taken, they were standing up and they were, if you like, buried in the water and then brought up again to new life. And there's something very good about proper dunking like we had today, Looks a little bit of sprinkling, that it really symbolizes and gets you that picture of dying and being reborn. The old self being put to death and a new self arising. St. Paul once said that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. They've been remade. And Jesus, in the reading we just had a few moments ago, says much the same thing. He says this, those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who want to lose their life for my sake will save it. In other words, being a Christian is all about dying and being reborn. It's about being unmade and being remade all over again. It's about losing our life and saving it. Because, of course, when we start talking about evil, and we talked about that a lot in the last 24 hours as we watched what happened in, in Paris, we have to remember that evil is not just out there, but actually it's in here. That the fight against evil goes on, not just against ISIS and all those terrible things that are done by terrorists and people in the world, but it also goes on inside your heart and mine. Because evil has a little bit of a beachhead in here too. And so, when we look at this view of the Christian life as being unmade and remade, dying and being reborn, Jesus has three statements here, I think, which are a great little guide to us as to what the Christian life is. A great little guide to those of you who've been baptized and, conf- and, conf- and being about to be confirmed as to what you're committing yourself to. There are three statements that Jesus says of what it means to be a Christian. They are to deny yourself to pick up your cross and to follow Jesus. So very briefly, just about those three statements. Deny yourself. There's the first one. I don't know if you've ever noticed how much the word self is used in our contemporary world. Um, Indulge yourself. Apparently that's the name of a family restaurant in Bournemouth. (laughs) Indulge yourself. Uh, We talk about express yourself. Be yourself. Help yourself. Look after yourself. See for yourself. Find yourself. We even talk these days about marketing yourself. It's kind of what you have to do if you get a job these days, to market yourself. The one thing you don't hear very often in our contemporary world is this word of Jesus, deny yourself. Now, what does he mean by that? What did Jesus say? Deny yourself. What does he mean? 
Well, I think what he means is a kind of learning to say no to yourself. It's learning to say no to that little self inside you and me that constantly wants attention, that always wants to get its own way, that always wants everybody else to love you and to think you're wonderful. That little self that always gets upset if I don't get what I think I deserve. It's that vanity that always wants to look good, that is always happy as long as others, is always happy to help others as long as we don't miss out ourselves. It's recognizing that little self, the voice of that self inside us, and being quite ruthless with it. I don't know if you know that voice. I recognize it, and every now and again I'm able to determine when it comes up. It's that little voice that says, do you know who I am? That's a a great temptation as a bishop, I can tell you. I'm beginning to get that sort of thing. Um, There's that little voice inside you that says, I don't deserve this. I deserve better. That little self that is all about me. Now, we recognize it, of course, in children. When now you have a little child, a little toddler, perhaps, you know, a child has a tantrum when it can't get what it wants. I was in Waitrose the other day over in Twickenham and there was a child screaming blue murder because he wasn't getting the ice cream or the little bit of ch- chocolate that it wanted. He was having a complete tantrum and the poor mother was trying to calm this child down. And uh, of course, a good parent will always discipline the child. Um, and will say, okay, if you're going to have a tantrum, you're not going to get what you, 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 you're, you're asked. If you calm down, you might get it. Or if a child has a real fit at home, you might say, okay, you can't watch TV until you kind of got yourself in order. Or, um, you know, you're, you're banned from Xbox for the week or something like that. A good parent will always discipline the child. It will always teach the child to say no to that whining self that always wants its own way. What we don't often recognize is that there's something of that still in us adults too. It doesn't always get weeded out as children. We just get better at hiding it. And there's something in us that needs disciplining as well. And so if we're to follow Jesus, if we're to learn this way of Jesus, we need to learn to deny ourselves. To learn to recognize that voice when you hear it rising up in your head and learn to be quite hard on it. Now, of course, that doesn't mean abusing ourselves. There is a proper care for yourself, your body, your health, and your well-being. You know, you're no use to anyone if you neglect your health, and you don't get proper rest and refreshment and all of that. Uh, if you don't feed your soul with the things that you enjoy and give you life, it's not a kind of um, you know, saying no to that self. It's a different self. But unless we learn to discipline ourselves, unless we learn to deny that little whining self that always wants its own way, Jesus says we will lose our whole selves. Now, this idea of being hard on that self, we know it in other areas of life as well. If you want to be a great athlete, you need to learn to be ruthless with the little voice that says, yes, I'll have that extra portion of pudding. Or, I don't want to get up early to go training and go for that run. I just want to stay in bed a little bit longer. If you want to pass exams, you've got to be quite hard on that voice that says, I don't want to do revision, I just want to stay and watch TV at home. The same is true of the spiritual life as well. 
If we're to follow Jesus, if we're to walk the path of Jesus, we have to learn to say no to ourselves. And it needs practice. It's why Christians exercise certain disciplines. For example, uh, the discipline of fasting that people often do in Lent or even in Advent, which is the time coming up quite soon uh, in the Christian year. It's, it's good practice in learning to say no. To say, okay, I'm not, not going to eat this meal. I'm actually going to fast. I'm going to pray instead. It's good practice in learning to say no. Or, or maybe silence. Maybe going on a day, day's retreat, where you're just, just quiet. It's, an, it's a, just a little good practice in saying no to the, the compulsion to keep talking all the time. Uh, or the discipline of sacrifice, uh, where we make ourselves give away money to a good cause or our local church or to someone on the streets. Money that we would love to be able to keep for ourselves and spend on ourselves. These are the ways in which we learn to deny our so, so there's the first lesson we have to learn. For those of you setting out on this path today of following Jesus, first lesson, number one, deny yourself. Second lesson, Jesus says, take up your cross. Take up your cross daily, he says, and follow me. Now, of course, for many Christians around the world, that is almost a literal command. And we're very aware of that this weekend what has happened to us here in Europe, in Paris, is a daily reality for Christians in Baghdad, in Syria, Iran, Iraq, and all over. A little while ago, uh, Baroness Swarsi, who was uh, one of government ministers, said this, there are parts of the world today where to be a Christian is to put your life in danger. From continent to continent, Christians are facing discrimination, ostracism, torture, even murder, simply for the faith they follow. In other words, being baptized, which is what some of you did today, can get you killed. That is the reality in many parts of our world today. Now, thankfully, that's unlikely to be true here in the future. But the surprise is that Jesus says that is kind of what you have to expect. Take up your cross daily. Now, what I think does he mean by that? Well, I think he means this. He means to ask you and me the question, what is your cross? What is the cross that you have to pick up daily? What is the hard thing that you have to bear? The thing in your life that you would really wish you could get rid of. The thing in your life that maybe you pray that God will take away. Maybe it's a child you worry about. Maybe it's a very difficult parent. Maybe it's a long-term illness. Maybe it's a really difficult relationship at work or at school. Maybe it's a repeated temptation that you experience and it just won't go away however often you pray for it and you try to get over it. Most of us have one. Most of us have a cross that we sometimes have to pick up and carry. And it's not that God has given it to us deliberately, but he's asked us to bear it for a while. And there's a bit of wisdom in what Jesus says here. He says, pick up your cross daily. Because the wisdom of Jesus, when we think about these things that are really difficult in our lives, the things that we wish we'd somehow be taken away from us, is 
not to do the two things that we always tend to do with these things. One is to avoid it, to kind of run away from it. The other is to ignore it, to pretend it doesn't exist. But Jesus says to pick it up each day, carry it like Jesus did until the day when God takes it away, whether in this life or the next. Because take it away, he will. Look on that thing as Jesus did the cross. Something temporary, something painful, something that God has asked you to carry for a short while, but something that one day he will take away even though you don't quite know when. And something through which God can do something far more powerful in you than you ever imagined. Because, of course, when we look at the cross of Jesus Christ, there it is behind us. When we look at that cross, we realize that through that cross, God worked the salvation of the world. He worked far more than anyone at the present of that side could ever imagine. And it's often precisely through these very things, these cross, this cross that we, we have to bear for a while, that God changes us. He unmakes us and he remakes us. Back in 2008, J.K. Rowling, you remember Harry Potter, um, author, uh, gave a, a talk to um, students at Harvard University. And uh, she spoke, chose to speak on the topic of uh, the fringe benefits of failure and the importance of the imagination. That was her title. And uh, she, in this talk, reflected on a period of her life when she wasn't a famous author. No one had ever heard of Harry Potter. It was just a little idea in her head. But it was a period of her life when she was a, a single parent uh, with no job. Uh, she'd, had, she'd been married, but it had gone horribly wrong, and she was divorced. And she had no income, few prospects, except for a little idea in her head about a book. At that point, her life seemed to be a total failure. And she wrote this in, she said this in this speech. She said, why do I talk about the benefits of failure? Simply because failure meant a stripping away of the inessential. I stopped pretending to myself that I was anything other than what I was. Failure gave me an inner security that I'd never attained by passing examinations. Failure taught me things about myself that I could never have learned in any other way. So she's kind of got something there, hasn't she? That somehow it's often through the precisely the bits that we don't like in our lives that God is able to change us. So what is your cross? And the call of Jesus is to pick it up, walk with it each day, and let it change you. Not to make you bitter, but to teach you patience. To teach you sympathy with others who suffer in a similar way. To teach you to trust God. To allow that old self to die and to let the new one be born. Because somehow without these things, we would never change. We would never learn. We would never become the new selves that God is calling out. Often it's true, isn't it? We look back on those difficult periods of our lives and we sometimes think they're the most creative times. They're the times in which we changed most quickly. And so these things that God asks us to bear for a while are in fact an opportunity to be transformed by walking with them, not around them. So deny yourself, pick up your cross, 
And then lastly and most importantly, follow me. Jesus says, just follow me. Now, I want to say a brief word today to those of you, maybe who come here to support those who've been being baptized and confirmed, and maybe this Christian faith isn't something that you, you, you share. Um, I'm, not, I'm a bishop in the Church of England, getting used to that kind of now, but far more important than I'm a bishop is the fact that I'm a Christian. And uh, do you know the best thing that I ever did in my entire life was to become a follower of Jesus. I guess most of us have people that we admire, people we would love to be like. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's Nelson Mandela or Taylor Swift or Jeremy Clarkson or whatever your great hero is in life. And uh, they are, if you like, the objects of our admiration. If you like, the objects of our worship. And there is a kind of law about life that we become like the things we worship. We become like the people we worship. We try to be like them in a kind of funny way. So the lesson is, choose the object of your worship carefully, because you will become like them. And for me, that person is Jesus. Jesus Christ. I have never known, seen anyone filled with so much life and forgiveness and compassion and love. And when I see him and I read about him and I experience something of his presence, the more I think, I just want to be like that. And when I look at Jesus, I see this compassion, this deep compassion, this well of compassion that everyone he meets seems to go out to them. He seems to have this great well of compassion that flows out to other people. I I see contentment, not a restlessness that so often is true of my life and of the people I meet. There's a simple contentment in who he is. Knowing he is the beloved son of the father, resting in his father's love, just knowing who he is, not trying to be someone different. And I see that in Jesus. And I see courage. I see the courage that knows what is the right thing to do and goes, pursues it, even though it leads to his own painful death on a cross. And I think that's what I want to be like. I want that compassion. I want that contentment. I want that courage. And so Jesus says, if you want that, just follow me. Follow me. That's what you have entered today, those of you who have just been baptized, those of you who are about to be confirmed. That's what you are committing yourself to do, to become followers of Jesus. And that means following him to the places where you find him. Where's the place where Jesus is found? Well, he's always found with those who are hurting, those who need friends, those who need hope, and those who need love. And if you're going to follow Jesus, you've got to go to those people, because that's where Jesus is found. Study him. Read about him in the scriptures every day. Pray with him. Talk with him. Every day, every morning, every evening, through the day. Make him the focus of your life. Meet with him in the Holy Communion that we're about to do regularly. Find him and serve him in your neighbor. Make Jesus Christ the focus of your life. And as you do, you will find yourself changing. 
you will find the compassion and the courage and the contentment of Jesus growing within you as you follow him. You will find yourselves being rebuilt, remade, the new self emerging. Now, this is the promise of following Jesus. If we learn to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow Jesus, we will find a new self emerging. The paradox of Christian life is that it often from the outside looks like death, doesn't it? You know, people look at Christians, they often are not particularly attracted. It looks like a life of self-denial and all that kind of thing. That's what it looks like from the outside. But from the inside, it's actually life. Those who want to save their life, says Jesus, will lose it. Those who will lose their life for my sake will save it. The old self has to die. That old self that wants everything to revolve around me. That self has to die so that my true Christ-like self can emerge. George MacDonald, who was someone that C.S. Lewis read and admired a great deal, said this, there is no forgetting of ourselves, but in the finding of our deeper, our true self. God's idea of us when he devised us, the Christ in us. Nothing but that self can displace the false, greedy, whining self of which most of us are so fond and so proud. So that's what we're invited into. In a few moments, uh, I'm going to confirm a few people in front of us, some of those who've been baptized uh, and others as well. And as I do that, I'm going to pray Uh, It's not just me praying, it's the whole church praying. That's kind of what bishops are, they kind of represent the whole church. We are praying together for these candidates that the Holy Spirit will come upon them to enable them to deny themselves, to pick up their cross daily, and to follow Jesus. Amen.